even at 36, there's still a lot of work you can do to figure out how to be yourself more. And I think that just not thinking there's an end to it is like more liberating. Then you're like, oh, it's never ending. I can always find new ways to be myself in different capacities and and I'm changing also. Welcome back. You are listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. Today, I have an interview with Puno. Puno is the founder of I Love Creatives and People Map. She's a digital entrepreneur who loves connecting people on the internet, and I loved connecting with her here. My friend Kelsey connected us, and you'll hear us talk about Kelsey, who helped me build my website and helped me launch the kits, and she's a wonderful, amazing creator who just had a little baby. But if you need a website, Kelsey is your girl. This conversation ranges over several topics. We get into relationships and direct communication in business and in life and in romantic relationships. We talk about starting businesses. We talk about business during a pandemic and learning and online education and becoming more yourself and bias. It's a wide ranging conversation, but one thing that really stood out to me was a part where I really go on about my trajectory of Let It Out as a business. So it might be interesting to kind of hear about some of the things that you've maybe heard me talk about in this podcast and failures and successes. And it was really cool to to talk this out with Puno. So she's really cool. Follow everything she does. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I could have talked to her a lot longer and I hope she comes back and maybe we could do another topical conversation. But I Love Creatives is such a cool community and place, and I really hope you guys check it out and maybe take a class because I'm going to. It's really cool what she's created. So enjoy my conversation with Puno. I hope you're having a great week. Couple housekeeping things. We're doing a Let It Out summer camp. So if you're not following us on social media, do that. We're going to be doing a book club. We're reading this beautiful book called The House of Deep Water by Jenny McFarland. I am on like page four, but it's so good. It's fiction. I wanted to read a fiction book. I wanted to read a book by a woman of color. I wanted to read a a new book to support a new author who's having a book come out in the midst of a pandemic and a revolution. And this book not only checks those boxes, but the author, the book takes place in Michigan, which is where I'm from, which I think is really cool. I, again, am not very far into it, but I already love it, and I think it would be really cool if you joined us. We have several other activities coming up, too, so make sure to keep in touch on email or Instagram, and I'll let you know about everything that we're doing. 
I think you guys are great. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm going to, in addition to a sponsor each week, highlight an organization that I believe in and support. So this week, I want to talk about the Loveland Foundation. Many of you maybe already know about it. It was created by Rachel Cargill. The Loveland Foundation Fund provides financial assistance to Black women and girls seeking therapy. Everyone, and especially Black women and girls, deserve access to healing and mental health resources. The Loveland Foundation is doing such important and meaningful work, and I hope you'll join me in supporting them. If you would like to make a donation, or if you are a Black woman or girl interested in applying for financial assistance, go to thelovelandfoundation.org. The link will be in the show notes as well. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you at the end. All right, you guys might know about my hair situation. I wrote an entire essay about it for my column that I used to write, but I have very complicated hair. (laughs) It's curly. Sometimes I blow dry it. It's just... It's very specific, and I think that maybe is not just me. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to hair, when it comes to shampoo and conditioner. We all need products that are suited for our unique needs and don't leave us disappointed. So thank you to Pros. I just washed my hair. It's a big day today, and I used my new Pros shampoo and conditioner, and I used this really nice hair mask that they gave me that's personalized. It all has my name on it. You guys know I love a personalized thing. And they even give me this hair oil. It smells so good. I got to basically design it. I've fallen in love with using these products. They're really, really great. Pros knows there's more to you than just your hair type. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how I got started. It's really cool. You go in and you answer all these questions about your hair and your, they even ask for your zip code so they can see, you know, the kind of like environmental pollution. It's so comprehensive how often you exercise so they know like how dirty your hair is getting it was very very cool and with their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations that's a bunch pros determined a unique blend of ingredients to treat my exact hair concerns and for me it's like growing and trying to wear my hair naturally curly and I also dye my hair, so I don't like when it gets brassy. So they had this special one for me that, you know, it's like the purple shampoo, but it's all, it also doesn't have parabens. It's really cool. And my hair honestly like looks pretty good today, you guys. Anyway, if you are not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've ever had. They will take the products back. No questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth quiz and get 15% off your order today. Go to pros.com slash let it out. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash let it out for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Thank you so much for doing this, Puno. I'm really excited to chat with you and uh, or keep chatting with you we've been talking before we started recording you just had your birthday in quarantine Mm -hmm. what has quarantine been like for you so far did you have to make any pivots how have you been feeling the beginning of quarantine was confusing from like a financial business standpoint because I actually had just come back from like a 
week and a half trip from Peru. And so I was off the grid at the end of February. And that's kind of when everything started going hardcore in California and the US. And so I wasn't sure what was happening business-wise. And, and I think February, not sure if it was seasonal, but our business was hit revenue-wise. And so I felt very like very reactive. And mm-hmm. so I, um, we weren't, I wasn't sure what I needed to do. And my expenses, you know, were, are a lot higher. I have employees now. And so I was just like, Oh man, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately I had been saving a company reserve. And so I had at least like two months to figure it out. And, you know, obviously you bring in some revenue, so it wasn't completely zero, fortunately, for our online business. But the two months gave me ease. So I have to say, if you're a business, building a company reserve really helps you. Because I was already crazy and anxious and stressed, but at least I knew I had time to figure things out. Yeah. To make decisions to get people prepared in the event that I had to do furloughs or anything like that. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, go back and tell tell me about I'm Creatives and your businesses and all of the things that that you do now and like the businesses that you were that you were just talking about that you were worried about. You're from Texas and you came to LA. And is that when you you moved here for a job? And then how did you end up starting the businesses? Yeah. So I I moved to LA right after about like six months of working at an advertising agency in Dallas. And then kind of like just jumped around, basically worked at an agency, got laid off 2008, ended up switching careers to UX user experience design, and then got a job at Activision as UX director for Call of Duty that's where I got like super duper burnt out and then ended up quitting and was like, okay, this time my husband is a full stack programmer. So he's coding more and I'm getting tired of my job. And so I was like, I'm just going to quit. And it was actually a really hard decision because I had built a team of 10. We were all really close. Um, We were all really smart and fun. And I felt like I was, I felt guilty for like wanting to leave them and kind of feeling like I was protecting them, but really I wasn't, you know, nobody was protected at that company. But then finally just kind of got over that and then left and didn't have a plan. My husband and I had worked on a few projects together, digital ideas. And we were just like, let's just work on something because I had saved, since I was working so hard, I wasn't spending any of it. So I saved a lot of money and had about a year and a half of runway. So we started building out one web idea, was this travel app. And then a year or two later, I was just beginning to meet a lot of people. And my social circles were changing because I wasn't relying on my company anymore to give me that. So I had to go out and find people. And I mean, I'm really glad that uh, Instagram came out around that time because that's literally what I used. I would just find strangers on the internet and then go out to coffee with them 
ended up moving to downtown LA because so many of those freelancers, small business entrepreneurs were all here. And so I was um, kind of growing this network, seeing that there's all these different things that people were doing, like all these events and everybody had these interesting launches and there's a lot of stuff going on. And so that's when I built I Love Creatives with a friend of mine, Eva. And we just wanted a place where creative people could just find each other. Because the only other place that you could do that at that time was on Facebook, which that was going down. (laughs) And then was on... And not that Facebook's like... I mean, it was just harder, you know, with your parents going on it and grandma going on it. But (laughs) then Instagram too, everybody was figuring out. So that wasn't really a great place to do it. Otherwise, you had like LinkedIn. So yada, yada, yada. We ended up creating... I love creatives as a newsletter and kind of like a Craigslist for creative people and just started that way. Really slow, humble beginnings. I wasn't even really focusing on it because I had another business that I was trying to build at the time. So this was just kind of like my side project. But fortunately, because it was my side project, I forced myself to do a lot of efficiency kind of decisions. Like I had to hire someone right away to kind of do the content every week. So I needed to price out the ads or the creative profiles that we had to at least be net positive. Not a lot, but at least net positive. So because of that, it just kind of ran on its own for the next two, three years paying for itself, growing really slowly, but with actual like-minded people. We didn't do any social. We didn't do anything. It was all just word of mouth and email. And then I finally had put an ad on my own site looking for someone because at that time I was bootstrapping my business. So bootstrapping meaning I was paying for my own business. I didn't look for VC money. I was building out Squarespace websites for people. And actually, that's how you know Kelsey, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she built your website. And when I built out one of my websites, I knew I needed help. And I was fortunate enough to have enough work that I could sustain help. So I went on I Love Creatives, put an ad out for a junior assistant. I think I literally wrote assistant or junior Squarespace website designer which is kind of bizarre because it's so specific. And put that out there, said $20 to $40 an hour, depends on experience. Got like over 100 applicants. And as I was looking at the applicants, I was a little disappointed, to be honest. And I just felt like a lot of the Squarespace examples and portfolios were just very much like the template which if you aren't messing around with that platform like hardcore, it's really hard to not know that it looks like a template or how to get out of that or know how to get out of that. And I was really disappointed too because this is I Love Creatives. I built this. So if I were putting a job out on here and you get this many applicants, like you're going to feel like, okay, you know, like what's going on here? So I think that's when I just realized that there was 
a lot of people, because I also got to see, you know, like who was applying. And it wasn't just kids. It wasn't just like 20-year-olds. It was a lot of like people who were in their late 20s and maybe even in their early 30s. And they were just trying something new, which um, I realized that that was kind of the community at Isle of Creatives was, you know, we weren't the agency kids like from Behance or working, not working. We're not like the super specific ones like Fiverr and Upwork. We were just kind of in this middle ground of people that wanted to try new things, were, you know, pretty, pretty open to and just wanting more creative stuff in their lives, but not really sure how to like figure out how to get those skills. Because where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get the feedback? Where are you going to get the critique that I got when I was in my advertising job? So that's when I decided I wanted to make an online course. And since then, we've pivoted I Love Creatives to be an edutainment business. So we are fully about teaching and educating and providing like a community-based way of learning. We just wanted a new approach because learning is hard. Learning design is hard. Learning alone is really tough. (laughs) So we're trying to make it as easy as possible to learn, but also hard so that you feel really fulfilled and like you actually learn something, you know? Yeah. You're so talented at what you do in so many ways of like the aesthetically and creating community and your personality is so magnetic and it's just, it feels like this project really hits a lot of notes for you in so many directions, which is really cool. Yeah. So you, you work with your partner, your husband now, was that from the start? Were you always working together on this? So I Love Creatives is more of my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what happened was when we were, we were building out our other business, People Map, there was just a lot of unknowns with that business because it's based on Facebook and Instagram. And so because of that, Daniel and I made the decision that I was going to go off and build another business. I chose I Love Creatives, but that's when we split off and he was kind of maintaining and holding the fort, if you will, with People Map because that was that replaced my freelance income at the time. And then I went off and built I Love Creatives. Now, Daniel is coming back into the fold with his extra time and is helping out build I Love Creatives. I mean... It's interesting how we've learned about our working dynamics as not even as a couple, just straight up as people, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and it's better when there's one person making a lot of the decisions in terms of just like CEO based kinds of decisions. Um, it just moves a lot faster, and you can talk all you want about it, but if the person who's making the decisions is humble enough to say they made a mistake and is actively always fixing it, then it's almost faster to not just talk about everything and just do it and then figure it out. Whereas when we were both partners, almost equal, we discussed every freaking thing. And my God, that was so exhausting. Like I was like, I'd rather just build it. (laughs) Yeah. 
than talk about it forever. <laughs> That's such an interesting thing. Yeah. I think I heard you talk about on another podcast, on your podcast, I think that you know most conflict comes from trying to protect each other's feelings or, or trying to be nice. And I think you yeah. were talking about this in the, in the context of like a romantic relationship, but when you're trying to not hurt each other's feelings, you're not really communicating what's going on in your head. And then you know, you're holding back because you don't want to hurt the other person. And yeah, you know, you're being that, too nice. Yeah. And then like nothing, you're not really communicating at that point. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the being too nice is such, it forms mistrust. That's mm. what happens. And I see this a lot too with a lot of junior designers, a lot of young people aren't confident with speaking up about feedback, about what they see and is happening. They assume someone else is going to figure it out also. And so things become unsaid. And I think that that is not good, period. If you have a feeling, if you have an idea of like, this doesn't feel right, why aren't you allowed to talk about it? You know, and if it ends up not being right for some reason, then whatever, it shouldn't be met. It should be a learning moment at that point, as opposed to a, it'll work itself out eventually, you know? Like, I mean, aren't we tired of living in this kind of passive world where people are waiting for everyone else for the answer? Like, I'm so tired of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to talk about this because I think talking about communication, it would be, really useful and interesting to talk this out from. I loved what you said about like it forms mistrust because I think, you know, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, like I'm pretty indirect as a communicator and always trying to be nice and validated. And that creates chaos, (laughs) you know, like nobody ever gets... (laughs) Wait, what do you mean? How did it create chaos for you? Well, I think it never it never really gets what you want out of a relationship. I mean, I think in a in a working setting, I've been a client a lot of times on the side of like designers, whether it's my friends or people that I've been working with on different projects. And I've historically been really bad at giving feedback or mm-hmm. given feedback in a way... I've learned so much through doing this and messing up so many times. But I mm-hmm. think there was part of me that felt like I could just kind of say something in the vicinity or show a lot of inspiration and they would just kind of read my mind and get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm learning that that sort of direct communication in all aspects of life is, it's kind of like what you were saying about, it's faster, you know? Like you can get there, you can get there that way, maybe. It's more uncertain, but you can definitely get there if you just say it, you know? But like saying it, takes vulnerability and saying it, it's uncertain. And so it's, it's scarier. Yeah, it's totally. And I think why I'm like so hot on it right now is, I mean, I, I just, we were just coming off of the Black Lives Matter protests in LA. And I've been reading more about bias. I actually read the book by um, Jennifer Eberhardt called bias it's so good by the way i would definitely i feel like it should be mandatory reading for everyone mostly because 
it's actually different from what I thought it would be. It's kind of a, the history of social psychology um, and bias in our kind of generation. It goes back to, but it also talks about like all sorts of things. Like even it brings up like the neighborhood app and just everything. It's really good. It's a great way. I think it's a great introduction for people to learn about yeah. social psychology and bias. But in there, there was, they were talking about neighborhood, the app. And yeah, I don't even know that app. Can What is it? Oh, <laughs> um, it's basically, it's like civilian. So it's, it's location-based. You can talk to your neighbors about anything. Like some of it is, oh, this road has construction on it got or it. Okay. someone lost a dog. Yeah, but what it got known for is racial profiling because there's another category that you can post about, which was something suspicious is happening. Oh, yikes! Okay. So then, what happened was they had this huge increase. There's a lot of really intense threads between neighbors that was just kind of showing a lot of racial bias. But the product designer was like. But, you know, understanding from both sides, like, yes, that is racial profiling. But on the other hand, that person doesn't think they're doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. and is now feeling like they shouldn't, you know, they're being called out and nobody wants to be really called out like that. So they had to figure out how to prevent this from happening. So he did a lot of research and came up with basically this checklist that you have to check before you post about something suspicious. And like the first one is, can you describe what they're wearing? Just make sure that you'd be very specific because you would hate for an innocent person to be, you know, miscategorized. And then the second one was something about what was the, what's the actual action? Like what is, what's happening? And then the third one was, are you racial profiling? (laughs) Just straight up. Uh (laughs) This is prohibited. You're not allowed to do that. Uh (laughs) And they found that being really simple and straightforward, although uncomfortable, helps people get the point and really think about what they're doing. And it reduced racial profiling by 70% on their app. Wow. Long story short, simple and straightforward, even if it's uncomfortable. Sometimes better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that working in your life or in your relationship from like a romantic relationship perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I mean, I think my husband and I are like, we talk a lot and we have, we're very honest with each other too. And in the beginning, like, because I wanted to be a problem solver. I would try to come up with the solution on my own. But now I don't do that as much. I mean, I give it as much thought as I can, but I also try to integrate him in it as well so it doesn't come out of left field so at some weird and odd time. So like I'll bring up something that's bothering me and I'll preface it with I don't have a good solution for this. And, and I'll also preface with, I feel really dumb that like, I care about this, but I feel like it. And so you have to help me like 
figure it out with me. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. So, I mean, it sucks. It's a horrible conversation <laughs> for me. And I don't know, it's just very vulnerable, just like, you know, the, any hard conversation is. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're asking for support. And I think to do that is, it is vulnerable and it is uncertain. And I think, you know, with that relationship, there's a history there and you're in, you're in it. You're, it's not new. I think in, in new situations, it's even way more difficult. And, you know, this happens in all, all relationships yeah. at a certain degree. But I think it's the avoiding of these conversations where things, it's a lot easier to do it early on or to like build that, or it's not easier to do it early on at all, <laughs> but it's, um, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's harder for it's, sure. <laughs> it's the opposite. Um, but I think it's, it's the avoiding of that, that like makes things fester. And I think it makes resentment happen. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. The resentment thing has, I don't know why I knew that I was fully capable of it. <laughs> of the feeling of resentment. But when I first was in college, Daniel is a year older than me. So he moved to LA first. And he you know, we were just talking about me moving out to LA without a job. And I was like, oof, I don't know. I feel like if anything goes wrong, I'm gonna resent you for it. I think I'm mature enough to recognize that, but immature enough to know I'm capable of it. So I was like, I need to get out there my own way so that if anything happens, it's on me. Yeah. That's so <laughs> that's, smart. That was so astute of you. <laughs> you know, just like, yeah. I, know I, I know I'm capable of being a bitch. So while she's not here, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. make some decisions for her. <laughs> that's so wise. <laughs> <sighs> and it it's worked so out. Funny. <laughs> it, it worked out. Oh my gosh. It worked out even better because, you know, when you're young, it's hard to get a pay increase staying at the same job. So mm -hmm. you, sometimes it's better to move on, but it's also not good to move on so quickly because that looks a little weird. So transferring within companies is a great way to get a higher raise. Oh, Although wow, I started yeah. off with nothing. Like I think I started off with 34, 32 grand a year on my first job. So, you know, I had, yeah. I had room. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's really, it's a lot of pressure for a relationship to, in, in any context of like abandoning yourself for your partner, even if it is great, it like really never creates anything long-term, you know, I think it's more sustainable this way. I think, so you guys have been together for a really long time now. I think I heard you say on that other podcast too, that you, the first project that you worked on was something where you, it sounded so cool. This is like a little throwaway line, but I, I still think about it. You, um, I just listened to this yesterday. You were putting a sign up in Whole Foods of like what people would say to celebrities <laughs> if they ran into them. Yeah. Was that the first time you guys collaborated? And t please yeah. tell me all about that project because it sounds uh, genius. <laughs> so basically, it was what it was called. What I would have said. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have the domain anymore. And it was I drew 
a celebrity every week and you would post what you would have said to that celebrity. And that was pretty much it. And like, I drew like Christopher Walken, Jerry Seinfeld, Angela. Oh, Angela Houston was my favorite drawing, but it ended up just being like riddled with porn. Oh, <laughs> no. That's so Because we didn't put a CAPTCHA on there. But that was like a really fun project because I learned, I had to learn Illustrator. That was kind of my goal was to figure out Illustrator. I learned how to figure out my taste. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting project to learn that because, you know, you're doing the same almost creative brief every week. And then I would just get bored of myself because I was kind of doing the same thing over and over again. But it's also hard to like get out of your comfort zone too. So I just realized, oh, I just have to sit here longer and like actually tweak versus just nudging pixels around. I have to actually like try new design things, try new looking at different inspiration, like doing lots of different hardcore different things, not just what I used to do as a junior designer, which literally was just like, let me move this up to the right, to the... And then like, it still looks the same. (laughs) It looks the same. It's now just on the left, you know? Yeah. That's such an interesting like metaphor for life. You know, I think sometimes I'm just... It's like that Einstein quote, I guess, like doing the same things, expecting a different result or like just not fully... Sometimes it's just putting in the work and just sitting there, you know, and just actually, yeah, which is challenging, (laughs) not how, not what you want it to be. It's super challenging because you have to not just come up, like people think, a lot of people think that when it comes to design, it's thinking up a new design. And that is not how you come up with new design. It's the process that you have to change up, Mm. not the actual. Like people think, oh, it'll just come to me. I'll just magically visualize this design. And then I'll like, oh, it'll just come out of me. And like, I can just do it. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) There's no way. You have to actually think about the process in which you're making these decisions. So that's why I love repetitive work when you're young, because it it allows you to kind of pick apart details as as you're working. And because there's so much sameness that's happening, you can really like dive deep in certain details and you start picking apart like, oh, you know, I'm looking at the same website for typography over and over and over again. Or I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, these colors all the time. Like that's the part that you have to change. And once you change that stuff up, then it's like Bob Ross, you know, now you have <laughs> different tools and different colors and different things you can play with. And that will inevitably change your design. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, have you heard Elizabeth Gilbert talk about creativity? I think she has She has a TED talk about it and there's this book, Big Magic, but I think it's like sometimes she says, 
sometimes it comes easily and sometimes you just have to sit down in the chair and put in the time and put in the work and having the rules so then you can break them, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is your greatest lesson on creativity? On creativity? Yeah. Oh, man. You were also going to say something else. So (laughs) I wanted to get that too. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember. I interrupted you. Shoot. (laughs) I interrupted you with a question. No, no. No, no, no. No, No, it probably wasn't. I think it's probably repeating what you're going to say or I don't (laughs) know. Under an, an underline or a bold, a highlight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think with creativity, when I came back from Peru or when I was at Peru, I mean, I, I just turned 36. So I feel like when I turned 30, after I quit my job at 28, 27, I felt like at 30, like I was doing everything that I've ever wanted to do. I didn't give, you know, an F about anything. Like I was just being me completely. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in Peru, we were also a little high and I was getting energy healed. But (laughs) in Peru, I like had this just like thought of, can I really push it further? Is there more me that I haven't? done. And I was like, yeah, there for sure is like there. And that's when I was like, wow, even at 36, there's still a lot of work you can do to figure out how to be yourself more. And I think that like, just not thinking there's an end to it is like more liberating. Yeah. Because then you're like, oh, it's never ending. I can always find new ways to be be myself in different capacities and and I'm changing also. So that will always be infinite and endless too. So yeah, that was really a nice feeling, but also it was just like, wow, I can't believe that I put a cap on it. Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. It's fluid and growth is, and it's not really linear and it's um, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and such a, such a good way to view it of like, I think about that a lot with, with growth or like personal growing. It's like, hopefully the more, the most self-aware I will be, will be right before I die. You know what I mean? Like, because we're just getting to know ourselves more and more. Yeah. Being ourselves through other people and projects and yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, what else is the point? Never end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you never like, I was thinking. I was. I'm not a museum goer, but um, I did go to the Matisse exhibit in in Amsterdam, and it was really interesting. The way that they laid it out, I thought was just really smart. It was they showed just like these different eras, if you will, or like. Matisse was, he started off copying and doing like very traditional art and then met a group of artist friends. And then they all started kind of copying each other in a way. And then um, what we know as Matisse now, like he didn't do that until later, later in his life. And I was just like thinking about, well, what if he, he never died? You know, like I just 
the trend of his evolution, I don't see why that would change. Yeah. You know, like I don't see why he wouldn't keep evolving and keep getting bored of his own stuff and then wanting to do something new. It was like pretty cool to see like, oh, even this genius that is in this huge, huge museum that thousands of people are viewing started off by copying and had a group of friends and he was like, man, we're all doing the same thing, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the same crap that we all say right now. Yeah, that's, I was just thinking about that too. Like seeing, that's the best part of like, you know, seeing people that you admire who their early work or that it took them, you know, a longer time to make things than, you know, a prodigy. And like seeing that helps you to feel more okay about what you're doing, you know, in a way that I think is really useful and that we all can use, especially in art and just in life is like being a person personally too. Yeah. It's a lot, especially with, you know, how much comparison. And and I think too, we're not seeing ourselves right now in the context of the world uh, as much. And so there's more rumination or there's more time to feel feelings or to compare or to compare to your old self or to, yeah, it's just kind of bringing up, I think, a lot of these core wounds for us to look through and heal and um, just be aware of and hopefully grow in the stillness. Has that been your quarantine? You've been more self-reflective at this time? I think I tend to be so moving so fast and just as a distraction from feeling my feelings or there are things Mm -hmm. that I'm aware of, but I would just ignore. And this has forced me to examine things and look at things. And it's just changed, you know? I think change is a really good motivator. Like force change is a really good, you know, what am I trying to say? Force change forces you to change, you know? It forces you to... Switching up a pattern is already a creative hack, you know? Yeah. I definitely have noticed... Not everybody obviously can't categorize everyone, but when 2008 happened for me... And I got laid off. It sucked. Like nobody wants to get laid off. Even if your entire company is getting laid off, like it doesn't feel good. But it was a really great time, just like you said, to force change. And the extra time just helped me really... Like it it forced me to look at different opportunities because, you know, everything was game at that point. And I think that's what some people are doing right now is they're like, well, if this is the worst, then something that I want to do isn't that bad anymore. Yeah. Because I'm already, I'm already like hitting rock bottom. I'm already getting unemployment. What do I want to actually do now? Because, and I think that like, that's the cool, interesting thing about this time. I mean, it's also unfortunate and it sucks that there's so many people that are unemployed, but I, I do hope that like people can give themselves a little bit more credit, you know, that they're allowed to do what they want to do and they're allowed to explore. I think that's the thing I was missing when 2008 happened for me was that I didn't give myself enough time to explore. And I call this the slashy phase, you know, like I think we think we scoff and we laugh when people talk about college and they're like, oh, you have to pick a degree. 
but then we still do that to ourselves when we have to find our passion and our like our next step. We put so much pressure on like figuring it out when we know that's not how it works. Yeah. But for some reason there's this time pressure because well, it's not for some reason. It makes a lot of sense. We still have to make money. But if you can just rethink that and be like, okay, I am going to be allowed to search forever for this new thing that I want to work on. And this new thing that I'm going to work on doesn't have to be everything, but it can be something that I really want to do right now, you know, or maybe I don't even know if I want to do it. I just need to try it to see if I want to do it. Like all of that just needs to be allowed. Yeah. I feel like that exploration or that, you know, I wish I would have had that younger. I wish I would have, you know, how do you balance, I guess, something I used to talk about a lot on this podcast and I thought about it when you were talking about slashies, but (laughs) I had a lot of, I don't want to call it shame, but I was like just feeling over and over again, like, and I've kind of gotten over this or I've just forgot about it because it's still nothing really changed, but feeling like I haven't mastered anything and feeling like I'm a master of none. And how do you balance, you know, because I feel like for you, you're a master of a bunch of things, you know? So Mm -hmm. how how do you balance dabbling in a bunch of things and and mastering and not being i guess i don't have like a specific question on that no. yeah yeah just go ahead i know exactly <laughs> yeah i know exactly because all of my students feel that way they they feel like they're a master of none they feel like they're just swimming and not getting anywhere with it because they are not good enough to make money from it or they're not good enough to like see projects through, but they know a little bit of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit, one, that's definitely some comparison stuff that's happening that just, you know, let that shit go. <laughs> like, it's not helping you, like, or at least embrace it because what's his name? Oh my gosh. How am I going to forget this? This American Life. Ira Glass. Um, yeah. I was just talking Ira about Glass. this. Qu- yeah. That quote about... The skill gap. Yeah. The skill gap is so good. It's just like, yo, your tastes are just really, really high. And so your expectations for yourself are also very high. And unfortunately, because they are so good and your taste is so far from where you are right now, it's just going to take longer. And that gap is just going to feel like forever. And you're not going to not have great taste. So just know that that's why. That's why you feel that way. I think in terms of skills, I call myself like a high level slashy because I like to skill stack. And I think it's because I was reading this thing about my boy. I love me some Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. He's the best. He's the best. He was of the era before colleges really. And it was really important for him to learn skills to get projects out. So for example, he wanted to learn printing because he wanted to create a newsletter so he could show that he was funny. It was all about projects more than it was about skills. Mm. And that's how I feel is like, I am not shy of picking up 
whatever skill I need to in order to make the project that I want come to life. And I think if people thought that way, then it would be it would be easier to learn, I think also, because there's so much to learn with everything. Like if you were going to learn Photoshop, for example, like, my gosh, if you just started with every tool and just went down the line, that would be so boring. But also, it would feel like you're not getting anywhere because you don't see anything with it, which is why like in our class, we have very tangible projects that you can finish because you want... You need that satisfaction. It needs to be hard, but you need to know that like you've finished this thing. And I think that for those people that feel like, well, I don't have a project or I haven't thought of the best project, just start on any project. And I think just starting on any project or taking a course, it doesn't have to be ours. It can be any course. Anything, just know that anything to get you out of that funk is a really good lesson. And learning consistency and learning how to get yourself out of the, I haven't even just started yet. Like that is really hard to do. And I don't think people give it enough credit that it's a skill to just start. Like to learn how to just start is a skill. (laughs) You need to learn. And it's not always the same. Like, Like I am a very much, like I'm an autodidact. I will learn things on my own. I'll go on YouTube. But sometimes, depending on my emotional state of mind, how difficult the topic of is, or if I even have a teacher that I really like, I'll buy an online course. Or sometimes I'm like, you know what? I can learn through Reddit. I can learn through YouTube. But you have to know and be in tune with what's kind of like stopping you from moving forward and then just address it. I think that's once people start doing that, then they'll, they'll just start. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then move on to the next problem. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I mean, there's this great Yogi Bhajan quote where he says, when the time is on you start and the pressure will be off. And I think about that often because it creates momentum, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like just that like, tiny bit of validation gets us going enough to keep going. And I feel yeah. like that can that can happen through ourselves. It can happen like through someone giving you a compliment or some encouragement. It can happen, but it's much more sustainable if you can drive that on your own, you know, that's mm-hmm. a much more sure. And I think, yeah, I, I love what you said of like, it, it so much depends on the day of the week and the time of the month and the like how if it's a pandemic or not or if I have time or if I'm rather redoing other things or how I'm feeling or like how my relationships are it all plays into creativity and learning and I was just thinking about this like getting the formula right of like how I can fire on all cylinders and sometimes I can learn quickly or learn from other people sometimes and and just people are different too like you know we have these we call them person kits for personal growing which is kind of like our like internal work of i love creatives you know like a lot of your your kits and yeah i think of that in that context of like everything in here can be found on the internet like you can google all of this you can find it. But sometimes it's nice to have 
a hand holder or a curator to take you through it, you know, especially when you aren't, when you are feeling low, you know, or you Mm -hmm. are feeling just didn't get the formula right and you don't have the momentum yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that we know somebody was asking me the other day, they were like, who's your competitor on Isle of Creatives? And I was like, dude, I, I hope that I have thousands of competitors because then we're really going to make some changes with education. Like the more options there are for people to get self-educated, the better it's just going to be. The more we aren't going to have to rely on colleges, the, the more competitive we as online educators have to step up and like actually provide results. I feel like I want a ton of people to start figuring out how to actually educate and not just make passive income. Mm, you know, yeah. I mean, if there's a way that they can make money and are, you know, motivated by it in a positive way, then teachers can actually make a really viable income. But yeah. otherwise, like, yeah, I just don't, I, I think the education system works the college education and public education, I think has a lot of work to do. And in the meantime, I'm just really encouraged by online education. And I think like Corona has really shown that when everybody's online, including colleges, including schools, how, what, what is the difference? What's the actual difference between the two? Because that college costs forty thousand dollars a semester, and this little thing was like what, like five hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I always think about with that is community, and mm-hmm. I can't tell you one thing I remember from college, but I talk to all the people. You know, like there's still important people in my life, and I feel like that's what's really cool about what you do is that it does incorporate community because I think that's such a crucial, such a crucial part of, you know, I'm not sure it's necessarily related to learning or even a necessity of learning, but I think it's a necessity of life. Right. And to integrate those two, I don't know. I think that's, that's really where we can grow. Yeah. I'm really excited for this to change. I think this was one of those things that I, have always been frustrated about since like the beginning of college. I just remember being overwhelmed by the course catalog and by having to choose a major. I just remember like feeling like I don't know (laughs) and I have to pick something that is going to affect my life for the next four years. And then after that too, it was just really... Yeah, it's so like weird there's a lot when of- you really like talk it out that we do that. <laughs> you know, it's very strange. <laughs> and then I remember looking at the course catalog and the difference between like, if you go onto our Squarespace course, we have an FAQ that's like long. It's long. There's so many questions that people ask us and we put all of the questions on this document. But when I was picking out a course in this catalog, it's just what? I mean, it's like a tweet like 140 characters that describes this course. You can't even look up 
the prof- well, you could look up the professors, but it wasn't. I don't know. It just seemed you are blindly choosing things and just trusting that someone else has figured it out. And like, then you go into the class and you're just like, oh boy, this, not all the classes, but a lot of my classes, I was like, this is such a waste of time. Yeah. It's interesting. I had the opposite experience of like, I knew exactly what I wanted to major and I was so positive of it. And then I never did it. You know, like I never did that (laughs) thing. What do you mean? I studied journalism and I wanted to be a TV news reporter and never did that. Oh. And I think there's notes of it in like what I do now, but what I do now didn't really exist or I didn't know, I didn't know that it existed. You know, and I think that it's all, it's fine for our generation of like everything leads you to the next thing and it's, it all works out and it's fine. But I think a bit more individuality to education from the beginning would serve us all long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so curious about your offerings. Like you have, for example, the kits for journaling even. How did you come up with that? And like, when, when did you know that that was like a need? So I started this podcast in 2013 and you know, it was really just this way to, I think podcasting's the new networking, you know, like it was really just yeah. a way for me to talk to people I admired and get an hour of their time and, you know, like humbly thank them for their work and ask whatever I wanted to know. And I think podcasts were so new at that time that they were like, oh, well, this it's, it's on iTunes. Like that seems legit when like anybody could be on iTunes, you know? And so I was yeah. able to, you know, meet a lot of people and, and see what a lot of different people were doing and a lot of entrepreneurs in a variety of spaces. And then eventually I got this book deal and I wrote this book about journaling and that came out in 2016. And I realized, you know, especially talking to a lot of personal growth and self-help people that, you know, it's all kind of like Mexican food, right? It's like, they're all saying the same thing just in different forms, but that's great. And like you said, like some people are going to like with learning, like some people are going to like nachos or some people are like going to like quesadillas, but at the end of the day, it's beans and cheese and whatever. And so I think it's the same thing with learning or with personal growth or with any topic. Like it's good to have all these different forms. And I, this is like kind of the longest story ever, but pretty recently, I wanted to start this magazine. I wanted to take Blood It Out and what I, the community that I had built through at that point, like nearly seven years of the podcast. And we just had our 300th episode last week and I, I wanted to make a magazine. Cool. So mm-hmm. I hired this. This was kind of the example of feedback <laughs> from earlier. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I had saved a lot of money and I had worked a full-time job for six years that I had left. And so I had all this money. And so I was like, I'm going to make a digital magazine. Like that's what I'm going to do. And I hired this agency in Brooklyn. And I I was like, here we are. I'm going to invest in this and I'm going to make a digital magazine version of, of Let It Out. And then you know, halfway through that project, when it was basically too late to pivot, digital media was changing. And a lot of the magazines and newsletters that I was reading and loving were also closing. And I knew that it wasn't something I could monetize and it was really this big or or that I even wanted to. And like it was kind of an Ira Glass thing too of like, 
I knew I couldn't do it at the level that I wanted to do it at for the amount of money that I had. And I was in over my head. And so I had to just scrap that project and that site and that amount of money. And it was just like the hardest, most heartbreaking thing ever. And I just, I just kind of stopped for a while. And that's why I started traveling actually. And I didn't really know what to do next. And then And then I got the idea for the kits. I was like, okay, well, this is a way for me to put a lot of what I wanted to do of curating a lot of that content behind Mm -hmm. a paywall that makes it, you know, what I maybe would have done with the magazine a little bit differently. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in and, and starting that, but it felt really correct of like what's happening on the internet right now because things change so rapidly in internet time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so cool though. I, I love that. I think everybody goes through that, you know, of thinking you want this one thing and then realizing that's not kind of the business you want to run. Like the actual business of running a magazine is typically ads. Yeah. And in order to do that, it's actually a totally different skill set than what you what your journalism skills were. So it's, I totally feel you. Like I think being, when people say like build a business plan, I mean, I don't even think you need to get that far. It's kind of just like thinking about asking a couple of questions to people who've already done it. Like, how do you make money? What are the daily things that you have to do to bring in that revenue? And then ask yourself if you want to do that. Because <laughs> if not, then you have to figure out another way to sustain that business. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I I did that with some people and and learning about like people's situation of, of like okay, well they maybe came from money or they you know had a side job or they're like everybody has right. different ways of funding their lives and and then some things just work at a certain period of time that would not still work now or yeah, you know there is some true. some of you know, some business things I feel like can be, aren't so clear, you know, and are so unique based on the person and the situation. And, you know, I think that's, I heard somewhere that like failing fast or like success teaches you nothing, you know, like if you can fail and then pivot quickly, like that's best. And I think what was hardest for me about this situation was like letting go of the idea of what I wanted to do and how much time and money I spent on something that never really panned out in the way that I thought it would. And that was, that was a really, really tough situation all around. And, you know, and luckily, basically, thank you, because then I found Kelsey who helped me build the new site. And because you know, <laughs> I was really like, oh my God, I just invested so much time and money in this whole other thing, but I need a fully new one. And, you know, that was yeah. so wonderful to be able to have someone come in and like use that branding, but make something new out of it. And something right. so much more sustainable and manageable than the mm-hmm. back end of the of the other site that I was using, which you know I really couldn't sustain myself. I know, and that's I mean, people ask all the time, like, what's the difference between Squarespace and Shopify or WordPress? And I'm just like, it just depends where you are in your business. Like, yeah. if you are in, you are right in the beginning, then you need all the control that you can get without having to learn too much. Like his course space is still a little bit of a learning curve, but it's not as much as like learning how to hand code or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's so, so intuitive I'm finding. 
Yeah. I mean, once you start, you know, knowing where the panels are and that you can see like, okay, these are the patterns. These are the things that they, this is how they're building out their UI. But now you can change it whenever you want. You don't have to call Kelsey like anytime you want to change yeah. some copy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is just so liberating. And I was on WordPress for years, which is, you know, I got to know and was fine. And then um, the the magazine that they built is in Contentful and just really... Oh, oh wow. Yeah. It, it, it yeah, it's a whole thing. And this is just like compared to that, so luxurious and just so yeah. nice. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I talked to like, cause my husband, he can, he can dev out full stack, full stack mm-hmm. pro- programmer can do it all. And so for him working on Squarespace is like, it does not make any sense. Like there's so many yeah. cons to it, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, yeah, but me and my entire team don't have time to learn how to program. So we have to work with something that's flexible enough. And there's workarounds for everything. You know, like there's always a workaround. And at the end of the day, like our site is still on Squarespace. And until I get to a point where we really know exactly why we need it to be built from the ground up. And the pros are just so obvious and clear. And I'm ready to pay for the maintenance and the cost, not just in money, but in time, because now everything's going to take longer to build. Every idea is going to take a lot more time than using Squarespace. Once that happens, then we'll move. But until then, I'm like totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. I I realized through this whole process of me, you know, wanting to start the magazine and investing in design and like taking like so many iterations and I learned a lot about myself personally of how much I hide behind a really fancy website or basically the frame instead of the content of like getting it to look for, which I think is so important. And like I, from a non-designer, like I love design as much as the next guy, but you know, it's so important to me. And when, when I started all of these projects, my boyfriend at the time was and is a graphic designer and, you know, built me this really custom site and did all the stuff for me for free. And I was in college. And so I just kind of assume it really changed the way I I had to learn as an adult, like how to actually work with people that I'm paying because that relationship really was like, oh, can you just change that to that? And they're like, well, we've already had the two rounds. It's not like how it works, you know? (laughs) And I really had to, really had to change how I view things of like, I think it was just a distraction for me to actually like create content was just hiding behind the iterations and how it looks. And I think they're both really important, but I think it it's interesting to acknowledge that in my process. And I don't know if that's like relatable or if that's something that anyone no. else feels. But honestly, I think, and this is what I've noticed just after freelancing a lot, you're allowed to be that type of client. And I think that I am that client too. I, I'm the person who needs to iterate a lot in order to get to something because of my skill gap or my gap of like where I want it to be. But in that situation, you have to find either a 
different type of freelance situation or something that is something you can learn like Squarespace. But I I think there's like client education that needs to happen so that... Because a lot of freelancers are in this realm of, oh, you're a bad client. But I, I don't think that's always the case. Like, yes, there's rude clients, but even those rude clients just might be having a really tough day and maybe you can work it out and just asking them what's going on. But a lot of people are just trying to figure out how to execute their idea and not all the, the freelance model of two revisions isn't always the right, the right thing. And it's like, how do we help people get a little bit further along even before they get to mm. those revisions or, you know, like I think there's just, I don't think you're wrong. And I, I think that it's just very rigid. Individual. The process yeah. is a, it's kind yeah. of rigid. That's really, you know, you're making me feel so much better about this whole situation because I think, you know, that experience working with the agency and having, you know, five people involved on this project. And every time I was so, I would spend so much time writing these emails and rewriting these emails and trying to be like, you know, use the sandwich effect. Like, I love this, but, and I know I said that before, however, and really just trying to be like, okay, I have invested so much time and money. I want it to be how I want it to be, but I'm also, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, you know, in, in all relationships of like direct communication is a lot clearer, but it's Mm. scary, especially when you're like, you know, every time I felt like I said something, I was getting out of scope, out of scope, out of scope. And Mm -hmm. that's why relationships, I think in any career really get you so far, you know, like so much of life is being a kind person and just like treating Mm -hmm. people nicely. And Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we keep bringing up Kelsey, your student who's amazing. This is like a love letter to her, but we (laughs) were able to work together in this really fluid, beautiful way because I was able to just say like, look, dude, I spent all this money already. This is what I've got. I've already have this brand deck, like, but I need a site, but I also want it to be different. And, but you know, and I was able to really conversationally, explain things and she got me like she understood me and we had the you know there and it didn't mean that every second of it was easy there were times for sure when she had to say like look i've made four versions of this and i don't want to make another one until you get really clear on like what you're saying and i was like fair that's totally fair you know yeah Um, and there were other times where she was like honestly i'm not really even sure about this version so like if you need more revisions no problem you know like we both were able to have that communication and i think that's I've never had an experience like that. I think since that first boyfriend and that, what that wasn't healthy either, you know, but like, yeah, yeah. I think we struck a Goldilocks in this or I did with her. That is the one thing that I try to teach all the time is that be honest on where you are. Instead of saying out of scope, say something like, I mean, of course something could be out of scope, but you should always provide another solution. Because out of scope gets you nowhere. Like it just gets you to a dead end, right? And it doesn't, you, you, there should be other options. Yeah. Or more um, money, I guess, but that wasn't an option for me. Right. And I think that's the other thing too, you know, as a, as a client is understanding when you're having to work with someone else and you're not sure where you're at you are paying for someone to figure out that stuff with you. And I think that's, that goes back to the, how can we equip clients to do the work on their own? 
giving them homework assignments about, and maybe this works. This doesn't work for me, but a lot of people like will do branding forms and will be like, tell me about your brand. What are the feelings that you get? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, to me, I'd rather just get the client to do some of the actual work. (laughs) Write the copy and that sort of thing. Write the copy, find the images, Mm -hmm. go find the typography that you like. Yeah. Just you need to like do all that work. And then if you do that on your own and then come back to me, then we have something to work with. Yeah. You know? I love that. Because I feel like I've done so many of those goddamn sheets, you know? And I think by the time I got to Kelsey, I was just like, I love this. I'm so into it. I hear you. I have like seven of these done because I've just been bounced around to so many people and whatever, whatever. And I was just like, let's make a thing that looks kind of like this, kind of like this, kind of like this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's Frankenstein it. That's what I tell all of my clients. I'm like, give me three websites, but don't just show me the websites like go through and record yourself mm. talking through what you like about it because sometimes like i there's this one example that haunts me but a client gave me a pink website and i thought that they liked the color pink but it turns out they just liked the way one of the images were laid out yeah and so i was like okay fuck but yeah dude okay i'm so glad that as a client you hate those branding Cheats. Oh, yeah. they're the first. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I hired this agency and I came into their office and they had like all my favorite things and they had like done their homework and it was super cool. And, you know, I like was so excited to walk in there and I felt like a real like business lady, you know, and they gave me this like little workbook and we went through it and it took hours and hours and hours. And I remember leaving there feeling excited and like, oh my God, they're going to get it. Like, this is going to be so cool. And then going in for the meeting when I saw the first version and being feeling like it was my birthday, like I was about to get the biggest present of my life. And then seeing the two versions and it being so anticlimactic of like, this wasn't at all what I said. And I also didn't know how to provide feedback because I think providing feedback, like I'm not a designer and I think I have an eye, but I don't, I don't know how to articulate it and I don't know how to create it at all. And I needed organizational kind of help with it as well. And, and I just felt so stuck because I was like, this isn't it. And I don't know what is it. And I don't know how to iterate from here even. And so I Mm -hmm. think it's like, you know, a lot of it is relationships. And sometimes I get like the appeal of those types of booklets, but it's a little bit esoteric, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not one for one, just because you say that you want your site to be fun. Fun is subjective. And like, I need to see something visually before I get, before that happens. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, majority of web design work is visual. So if you can't, the communicating in words about it is just like one step away from actually exchanging visuals of it. I feel so much clearer as a designer if I can get three very specific images or screenshots or websites from a client than if they told me they wanted their site to be fun, approachable, and exciting. Yeah. 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 That's like, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) God, I wish I had talked to you 
three years ago. I would have saved so much money and time. Well, I, and you know, and I, I think that's the issue is like, sometimes it's okay like to work with an agency and sometimes they can, there's a match, you know, but like no one is taught what to do when there isn't a match mm-hmm. from both sides. Like from yeah. you, you don't know when to cut it off and the contracts are too rigid that you can't. Yeah. And then from their side, they don't know how to tell you like, you need to do this more, much more work or this is just not the right fit. Yeah. All they do is they talk shit about you behind their back and you talk shit about them behind their backs. You know, like, yeah, it always happens. <laughs> like yeah. Always. And I think I learned so much from this experience of like, I, and I think we, we did even have some honest conversations of like, I was in over my head. I shouldn't have done, you know, the project itself didn't really even come to fruition in the way that I thought it would. It, it iterated and that was fine, but there's this, this letting go that has to happen. And there's a grief there to letting go of something that you had the idea for. I, you know, I spent hours making an RFP for, I, wanted when the project started, but in the time that it took for me to start the project to when the project launched, I no longer had that desire, (laughs) you know, like that's how long things can take sometimes. And, you know, I think that's just collaboration and working with other people and, and creativity too. It's like being able to say it's vulnerability and it's pretty damn brave to be like, you know, I wanted this and now I don't, or we're about to launch this and it's not right and I need to change mm-hmm. it. And that's like a pretty scary thing, but but important ultimately. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. All right. I have like a million more things to ask you. So can we do these as like a quick fire situation? Sure. Great. Yeah. You do so many things. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? I really turn off hardcore, mm-hmm. like no phone. Like I just did that this weekend. No phone ignore everything. Um, and that's it. I just turn it off. I love that. Um, what's your favorite part of living in LA? Oh, the people, the weather, the people. Mm. I really wanted to talk about social media and we didn't get to that. Can you give us a little bit of, since we only have like a tiny bit of time, what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed by it? Or like, what is, you know, kind of one struggle that you hear over and over again that you would advise someone in? For my personal one, I I never really do. I'm not really consistent with it. I only post whenever I feel like it, which I think is why I haven't grown as much as I guess people are like, you should be growing more. And I'm like, but I'm not really putting in the work. So that's how I approach my personal. With I Love Creatives, I think it's just like one of those things that you have to keep working on. It is just consistency at the end of the day. And I think I use a lot of systems to kind of help me get out of the, you have to think of a genius post situation. I like lean more on process uh, so that you can just get through the motions and like what we've been talking about this conversation of just getting started and once we have a process, then it's just, it feels easier. Everything mm. just feels so much easier. But I think right now we're, I'm still working through that process because it's not me and it's a team that's now doing it. So it's a little bit, I'm learning new things about how to 
give up a lot of that, but how to also integrate my voice still. So yeah, yeah, I'm still learning that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would love to hear more about that. And I loved what you said about your personal one, not growing, but I think that that's, I'm kind of in the same boat of like, so curious about why that was. And then I was like, oh, I'm just not, it's what you give it, but it didn't feel right to push it on that. And so anyway, I just like that. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Oh, always tell the truth, even if they don't know, (laughs) or like, don't hide anything from each other. Mm. Even if you think like it's going to hurt their feelings, like just don't. It's so, it'll always get your ass later. (laughs) Yeah. Even if it feels harmless. Yeah. It still goes back to what we kind of have been, been the through line here of like communicating directly. So much easier. Yeah. So much easier. What's your favorite part of your life right now? Oh my gosh. I get to build a world. Mm, That's so cool. You are someone who's, you know, obviously very productive. Do you stick to routines or habits? Do you have like a morning routine or an evening routine that you stick to? I'm always trying to stick to a routine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Always. I think that I'm just naturally a person that uh, gets bored with things and tries new things all the time. So the one thing that I've noticed um, that is a trigger or it notifies me that something is off is if I'm not eating well and I'm not exercising daily. I think those two things show me that something else is occupying my time and making me not prioritize it. So it's just a trigger to let me know like, okay, what can we do? And then I go back and I work on it again. Mm. But it's it's constant. Like it's, I've never been a super consistent person in like, I always work out every morning at 5 a.m., blah, blah, blah. Like I've never been that person, but I have consistently always worked on myself. Mm, yeah, I love in that. some way. And I've consistently always fell off the wagon. So whatever. <laughs> what are, There's nothing to work like on <laughs> if you don't have anything to work on. <laughs> do you have like the first three things you do every morning or does even that sort of change? That changes. Yeah. In the beginning, it was, I would work out. I just kind of like from Palm Springs, I haven't done that. So I didn't do that this morning. I have a coffee in the morning, but not every morning. I don't know, mm-hmm. man. It's not always the same. I like that. <laughs> I like knowing that. Best thing you've eaten in quarantine oh, or in the last okay. couple of months? Banana pancakes. Mm, so good. One egg, one banana, some baking soda if you want, or powder. Great. The one that, that makes it fluffy. Oh, so good. I got to make that more. I, I used to do that a lot. Greatest lesson on friendship. I think that being able to have hypotheticals with someone is just such a, that's like my favorite part of most of my friendships. What do you mean by that? Just having banter, like being Mm -hmm. able to banter with each other and make fun of each other and, and just be honest but also be able to have honest conversations with humor, I feel yeah. like is such a cool thing about friendships. 
Oh, that's a really good point. I know. I think I tend to be like so serious with everything. <laughs> and it's just, a, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a buzzkill. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this was a delight, but is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about that you're curious about right now that you're contemplating and learning? Oh, no. I think this was great. I'm glad that we went all over the place, to be honest. I know. I know. Good. All right. Well, the last question I ask is really just like a way to recommend things. You already recommended one book, but is there music, podcast, food? You already kind of gave a food TV show. Anything you want to recommend to people? You know, I'm just going to say that book, Biased, again. I mean, there's a lot of like... It feels overwhelming right now. Mm -hmm. And... I think that this is just a really humble and approachable way to get into it and not feel so attacked. I think that it it just kind of is talking about it from all sides and all perspectives. I like that a lot. I think it was just really illuminating. And I feel like if you're a parent, you should definitely read it. (laughs) Mm, I'm going to definitely get it. Thank you so much for doing this. You're wonderful. We always great chatting with Katie. Oh, good. (laughs) Thank you. So we end taking a deep, letting out a deep breath together. Are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Inhale. Let it out. (sighs) That always feels a little bit better. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. All right, you guys. That was my conversation with Puno. How cool is she? Follow her and I Love Creatives and maybe take a class and check them out. She's really just a gem and I hope that she comes back on the show because I really enjoyed talking to her. Join our book club if you want to and keep in touch with me. I would love to talk to you more. The emoji for this week's episode that lets me know you're listening all the way to the end is one that Hunu picked. It's her favorite emoji. And it's the llama, I think. Um, like the white, yeah, like the, I think it's a llama. I'm going to guess a llama. It's not a goat. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a llama. So if you are listening at this point all the way to the end, comment that on my Instagram, on her Instagram to let us know that you're still listening. And, you know, I'll talk to you there. You guys might know about my hair situation. I wrote an entire essay about it for my column that I used to write, but I have very complicated hair. (laughs) It's curly. Sometimes I blow dry it. It's just, it's very specific. And I think that maybe is not just me. There's no one size fits all when it comes to hair, when it comes to shampoo and conditioner. We all need products that are suited for our unique needs and don't leave us disappointed. So thank you to Pros. I just washed my hair, it's a big day today and I used my new pros shampoo and conditioner and I used this really nice hair mask that they gave me that's personalized it all has my name on it you guys know I love a personalized thing and they even give me this hair oil it smells so good I got to basically design it I've fallen in love with using these products they're really really great pros knows there's more to you than just your hair type pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz which is how I got started It's really cool. You go in and you answer all these questions about your hair and your, they even ask for your zip code so they can see, you know, the kind of like environmental pollution. It's so comprehensive. How often you X, 
exercise so they know like how dirty your hair is getting. It was very, very cool. And with their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations, that's a bunch, pros determined a unique blend of ingredients to treat my exact hair concerns. And for me, it's like growing and trying to wear my hair naturally curly and I also dye my hair, so I don't like when it gets brassy. So they had this special one for me that, you know, it's like the purple shampoo, but it's all it also doesn't have parabens. It's really cool. And my hair honestly like looks pretty good today, you guys. Anyway, if you are not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've ever had. They will take the products back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth quiz and get 15% off your order today. Go to pros.com slash let it out. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash let it out for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Love you. So grateful for you. And I will talk to you next week with a fresh episode. In the meantime, if you like this podcast, share it with a friend, maybe leave a review on iTunes. That would be super cool. Let me know where you're listening. Let me know if you have any feedback. Let me know if you need anything. I hope you guys are doing really well, supporting each other, taking care of yourself and being nice to nature, being in nature. <laughs>